Hunter S. Thompson once wrote that luck is a very thin wire between survival and disaster, and not many people can keep their balance on it. If this is true, then Antoine Joseph Sachs walked that wire, teetering off balance and catching himself just before oblivion, over and over again, for nearly 80 years. Born in Dinan, in what is now Belgium, in 1814, Sachs cheated death at least seven times. He was so accident-prone, his own mother didn't believe he would survive past childhood. She's quoted as saying, He's a child condemned to misfortune. He won't live. Eventually, he earned the nickname Little Sachs the Ghost, which seems like a bit of a dark nickname to give a kid. But Little Sachs the Ghost did not die in childhood. He grew up, and though his life was a tumultuous one, he swung hard at every challenge, accident, and obstacle thrown at him. Some believe luck is a cocktail of perseverance and preparation meeting opportunity. If that's the case, then Sachs had to chug kegs of the stuff just to stay alive. And this little ghost who lived would not just survive. This isn't just a story of survival. Sachs would go on to influence the world of music in ways he could never have imagined. While he may not have understood within his own lifetime just how much of an impact he would have, every single one of us has in some way, at some point, enjoyed the lemonade he made from the orchard worth of lemons life flopped his way. Because Little Sax the Ghost grew up and invented the saxophone. This is the story of how a child who no one thought would survive changed the course of music history. Let's hear his story. I'm your host, Kristen Robine Terpstra, and this is the History Cache. Let's have a look inside. Little Sachs the Ghost grew up along the shores of the River Meuse in Dinant. The limestone cliffs overlooking the town have seen millennia of history, as this area has been populated since Neolithic times. In the 2nd century BCE, it was home to the Belgae, the Celtic tribe from which Belgium gets its name. In 1814, it was the childhood home of Antoine Joseph Saxe. Although he was named Antoine Joseph, Little Saxe went by Adolf for most of his life. This was at a time in history when the name Adolf was not yet the most unfortunate name you could give a child. He was born the eldest of 11 children. According to author Stephen Cottrell in his book The Saxophone, only three of those 11 children would live to see their 13th birthday. That is absolutely tragic, and considering the series of unfortunate events that befell Saxe in his early years, it's incredible he was one of the three who survived. His close brushes with death began early. When he was around three years old, he drank sulfuric acid, mistaking it for milk. Sulfuric acid is incredibly corrosive. If you even touch it, it can cause severe burns and tissue damage to your skin. 
According to the CDC, if you swallow it, it can cause burns to your mouth, throat, esophagus, and can even erode a hole in your stomach. Depending on how diluted the acid is, damage can continue over several weeks after it's swallowed, which can then lead to infection and the failure of multiple organs. Even breathing in the stuff can cause immediate and long-term lung damage. Today, you can mostly find sulfuric acid in drain cleaners and car batteries. Somehow, Little Sax survived drinking it. The acid he drank was diluted in part with water, which is probably what saved his life. Shortly after this incident, he swallowed a pin. I saw a disturbing picture by accident that I can never unsee when I was looking up what happens to people who swallow pins. Apparently, it's possible for nothing to happen. The pin can just pass through you within 24 to 48 hours. Not always, but it did for Sachs, who, again, survived a close call unscathed. He fell down three flights of stairs, smashing his head into a stone floor. He was actually given up for dead after this one. No one thought he was going to survive. But little Sachs the ghost again pulled through after a week-long coma. Some accounts say the fall was out of a third-story window, rather than down three flights of stairs. But Oscar Cometant, who knew Sachs personally, and who wrote a biography about him in 1860, said it was three flights of stairs. In any event, this wasn't even close to being Little Sachs's last brush with near death. At least once, some sources say up to three times, he was poisoned by varnish fumes when he fell asleep in a room where varnished furniture was drying. He was found before the fumes suffocated him completely in his sleep. Once, he fell into a hot frying pan, which severely burned his side. That was not his only incident with burns, he was involved in a serious gunpowder explosion as well, which also caused burns. Once, while he was out walking, a brick or a roof shingle fell onto him, hitting him in the head. This knocked him out, causing him to fall into a river. He nearly drowned before being rescued. He carried a lifelong scar on his head from this incident. This guy's childhood played out like he was one of the Animaniacs. In between all these bouts of thwarting death, Sachs kept busy, often learning and working alongside his father, Charles Joseph, an instrument maker and designer. Charles Joseph specialized in the manufacture of several instruments, including the clarinet, bassoon, guitar, piano, and different brass horns. He was constantly looking for ways to improve instrument design, a characteristic his son would inherit and almost obsessively apply in his own future work. Charles Joseph had originally been a carpenter, apprenticed to a cabinet maker at age 15. He was gifted at woodworking, and the instruments he crafted were exceptional. So exceptional that he was commissioned by William I, the ruling monarch of Belgium at the time, to produce instruments for the military. One of the characteristics that made Charles Joseph so good at his craft was his constant drive to experiment with the acoustic principles of instrument design. He was always looking to improve sound, doing things like testing how the position of finger holes could be shifted to make for optimal sound output, even at the expense of ergonomic consideration. 
Little Sax would carry on this tradition from his father as well. Although some of his modifications would make an instrument sound better, it would sometimes be at the expense of the player. Some designs were cumbersome and difficult to work with, but they always sounded remarkable. The improvement of sound was a continuous goal, and the ambition to revolutionize the acoustics of instruments was something Adolf Sachs would carry for the rest of his life. When he felt he could no longer improve the sound of an instrument, he would try inventing a new one. According to Joe Santi from the Museum of Musical Instruments in Brussels, by 14 or 15, the young Adolf Sax was already making clarinets and had improved the instrument by changing the bore and location of the finger holes, something he no doubt learned watching his father. Wanting to test the sound of different materials, Sax once carved a clarinet and two flutes from ivory, an incredibly difficult feat though there is speculation he received help from his father. He was a gifted clarinetist, and he could have pursued a career as a virtuoso, but crafting instruments is what drove him. That was his purpose, and he would dedicate the rest of his life to his craft. In 1835, at the Brussels Industrial Exhibition, the now 21-year-old Adolf Sachs showcased 25 different brass instruments and 16 different woodwinds. Though no record of an award or even an honorable mention exists in the exhibition's official award list, young Sachs began to garner some attention, and his ambition was clearly budding. Three years later, in 1838, Sachs showcased his updated design for the bass clarinet, something he had been working on for several years. His adjustments produced an instrument with a richer sound that could facilitate rapid finger work. After this, his reputation as a legitimate instrument designer in his own right, not just as a student of his father's, was established. This is made clear at the Belgian Industrial Exhibition of 1841, when Sax's name was listed separately from his father's. At this exhibition, it was obvious his work had improved, and according to some contemporary accounts, the examining jury related to musical instruments at the event recommended Sachs receive the gold medal for the instruments he submitted. However, the central jury overruled their recommendation, claiming Sachs was too young to receive gold. After being awarded the silver medal, Sachs is believed to have said, quote, If I am too young for the gold medal, then I am too old for the silver. He declined second prize. If he couldn't have gold, he wanted nothing. I do get that being denied a medal because of your age and not the painstaking work you've put into your craft since childhood is a complete bummer. But Sax's response here, if it really happened, is indicative of the fiery personality that would so often show up in his dealings with others. The world of invention could be a backstabbing, dramatic, fickle place, and that alone meant Sachs would come up against rivals, critics, and whatever the 19th century version of trolls were. But the competitive world of invention and its inevitable rivalries, coupled with Sachs's, let's say, difficult personality, would make him a hated figure in some circles. That also meant some of his critics would hate anything he invented, not necessarily because they didn't like what he produced, but because they didn't like him. 
and sax was inventing. Sax had worked with both woodwinds and brass instruments since childhood, and given his constant drive to invent and improve, he began to experiment with something entirely new. He wanted to fuse the world of brass and woodwind, take the best attributes from each and integrate them into one instrument. At the Belgian Industrial Exhibition of 1841, we have the first ever recorded instance of Adolf Sax, or anyone else, using the word saxophone. According to author Stephen Cottrell, it's not totally clear as to whether the bass saxophone in brass, listed among Sax's entries, was displayed as a finished product, but we can surmise that his fusion of brass and woodwind had begun. The saxophone was a revolutionary idea, because although it's made of brass, its sound is produced with a single vibrating reed. This means it's classified as a woodwind, even though it's generally made of brass. That was a big deal. Sax was obviously ambitious, and he was making a name for himself in Belgium. But he knew if he wanted to seize opportunity, he had to go where opportunity was more likely to knock. Paris was a hub for music, a place where Sax could strike out on his own, put his craft to the test, and make connections he couldn't make if he stayed home in Belgium. So in 1942, with 30 francs in his pocket, and a head full of ideas, little Sax the ghost, the child no one thought would survive, left for Paris to change history. When Sachs arrived in Paris in 1842, it was amidst a prolonged period of political uncertainty, but financial possibility. According to Cottrell, industries in areas like manufacturing, transportation, science, and technology meant there were fortunes to be made, and the rising of an increasingly affluent middle class made Paris increasingly wealthy, which generated greater musical patronage. Big names in the classical genre like Liszt, Chopin, and Berlioz were all writing music at this time and they were composing amidst what must have felt like a forever-changing political landscape in Paris. 19th century France would see several large-scale changes politically over Saxe's lifetime. Here is 126 years of political French history in one minute or less. When Napoleon I abdicated in 1814, the Bourbon Louis XVIII took power until 1824 with the rule of Charles X. But what happened to his son Napoleon II, you might ask? He was the disputed emperor for a few weeks, then moved to Vienna and died of tuberculosis at age 21. Charles X took over, and his ultra-conservative policies led to another French Revolution in 1830, after which Louis-Philippe took power. It was during his reign that Saxe would come to Paris. But Louis-Philippe's July monarchy, as it's come to be called, ended when he was overthrown in 1848. After that, Louis-Napoleon, the nephew of Napoleon I, was installed as president. He eventually proclaimed himself Emperor Napoleon III in 1852. 
His rule ended when he was deposed after the Franco-Prussian War in 1870. After that came the rise of the French Third Republic, which would hold until 1940. I think that was a solid minute. These political changes would affect Sachs to a considerable degree, because whether he knew it or not, in 1843, he was going to spend the rest of his life in Paris. When he arrived, he did so with little means, and although the musical circles in Paris were growing, Sachs needed a way to break into them. In a rare lucky break for Sachs, he met composer Hector Berlioz, regarded as one of the great 19th century composers. Berlioz was also a respected music critic. The night they met, they talked at length about music and instruments, and Sachs regaled Berlioz with descriptions of his inventions and the improvements he'd made to the instruments he crafted. At this point, Sachs hadn't yet patented the saxophone. He wouldn't for a few more years. When Berlioz heard a saxophone for the first time, one version of it that Sachs called the bass horn, he simply told Sachs, quote, Tomorrow you will know what I think of the work you have accomplished. If a critic said that to me, I would immediately think they hated everything I'd ever touched. But in the June 1842 edition of the Journal des Debats, Berlioz wrote this about Sachs's invention. Quote, Its principal merit, in my view, is the varied beauty of its accent, sometimes serious, sometimes calm, sometimes impassioned, dreamy, or melancholic, or vague, like the weakened echo of an echo like the indistinct plaintive moans of the breeze in the woods, and even better, like the mysterious vibrations of a bell, long after it has been struck. There does not exist another musical instrument that I know of that possesses this strange resonance which is situated at the edge of silence. That is a good review. By 1843, Sachs was able to set up his first workshop, and by the next year, he was exporting instruments to Germany, Belgium, Holland, and England. Sachs would hold small concerts in his workshop where he would invite journalists and people he believed could have an impact upon his success. Eventually, through General Rumini, one of his contacts, Sachs learned the Prussian military band was far superior to France's military band, and that France was annoyed about it. Before even moving to Paris, Sachs had known that if he could somehow supply the French military with instruments, he would have a steady, lucrative source of income. Seeing a possible opportunity here and deciding to seize it, Sachs wrote a letter to General Rumini, Marshal Soult, Minister of War, and King Louis-Philippe, suggesting a complete overhaul of French military bands that just so happened to include saxophones and sax horns of his own invention and manufacture. After some back and forth, which would last nearly two years, in 1845 the French military decided to include saxophones and sax horns in their bands. They would also rearrange the number and types of instruments played by its regiments, largely based on the recommendations of Adolf Sachs. This was a big win for Sachs, but with an increase in success came an increase in problems from his detractors. 
1844, Sachs showcased several of his saxophones at the Paris Industrial Exhibition. After this, a rumor was begun that Sachs had stolen his rotary valve design from German inventors, and that the saxophone already existed and was being played outside of France. None of this was true, but some detractors decided to back up these false claims of fraud by ordering instruments from Sachs, etching out his name from the brass, engraving the name of other inventors, and sending them back to France, claiming they had been made by foreign manufacturers. The re-engravings were of such poor quality, however, that a judge completely dismissed the case. But this wasn't the end of Sachs's legal battles. He defended himself against what must have felt like a constant influx of false accusations. For years, critics, detractors, and other manufacturers would come at him with frivolous lawsuits and unfounded claims that would always be overruled. The accusations against Sachs having stolen his valve design came to a head at a huge showdown between Sachs and German inventor Wilhelm Wieprecht. This was at a royal party in the German city of Koblenz, though I found one source that said this occurred in Bonn. At the event, which was well attended, Wilhelm Wieprecht claimed he was already familiar with the instruments Sachs had manufactured because Sachs had stolen the designs. However, when his accuser was given one of Sachs's bass clarinets in order to demonstrate this familiarity, he could barely play it. When he was given a saxophone, he couldn't play it at all. It was obvious the claims of fraud and stolen ideas against Sachs were, again, false. After this, Weeprush became a supporter of Sachs and admitted that, yes, Sachs must have invented the things he claimed he had invented. Sachs applied for a patent for the saxophone in 1845 and told his competitors that if any of them could produce a saxophone within the year, he would withdraw his application. None of his rivals even came close to producing a saxophone. No one even tried. Sachs received his patent in 1846. In 1849, he finally won a gold medal at the Paris Industrial Exposition. That same year, he was awarded the Legion of Honor, a high decoration given to both military and civilian recipients in France. Between 1843 and 1860, Sachs sold over 20,000 instruments. He would go on to invent 14 different types of saxophones, as well as develop different types of sax horns. These included the sax tuba, the sax horn, the bass sax horn, and a six-piston trombone. Sax horns were used mainly in military bands and have since fallen to the wayside, though you may still be able to spot one at a battle reenactment now and again. Although Sachs had found some success after receiving his saxophone patent, keeping business afloat was a constant issue. Pirated versions of the saxophone were produced, which Sachs received no payment for. He also continued to face detractors, many of them, and often. Some didn't like that he was making adjustments and improvements to traditional instruments, and others didn't like that he was a rival instrument manufacturer taking away business. The changes made to French military bands, largely made on the suggestions of Sachs, put the financial livelihoods of longer-established instrument manufacturers who had previously supplied to the military at risk. 
This caused many of them to gang up on Saxe, who was now supplying the French army with instruments. Because he was hated, so was the saxophone. Orchestras were not interested in including the saxophone among their other traditional instruments. His friend Berlioz, who remained a supporter of Saxe, wrote, quote, Again and again, Saxe is the victim of persecutions worthy of the Middle Ages. With a little more audacity, they would have murdered him. Such is the hatred that inventors always waken amongst those of their rivals that do not invent anything." Unquote. Legal and financial difficulty plagued Saxe for the rest of his life. The legal battles he was constantly fighting not only drained his resources, but they scared off investors. He ended up having to declare bankruptcy three times in his life, once in 1852, then 1873, and 1877. He did still have some admirers, and through his reputation, he landed a job teaching at the Paris Conservatory in 1858. This is a school of music and dance that began in 1795 and is still going strong. Even while teaching, Sachs continued to invent. He registered over 40 original patents in total. Even during periods of turmoil, Sachs continued to create. In 1853, at the age of 39, only a year after having to declare bankruptcy for the first time, Sachs developed lip cancer. For a musician who taught, played, and invented instruments that required using one's lips, this must have seemed like a total punch in the face by fate. Though in the 19th century, limp cancer could often result in death, or in some cases, amputation of the lip, after a five-year battle with cancer, Sachs made a full recovery. Once again, little Sachs the ghost thwarted death. We know a lot about Sachs's professional life, but the details of his personal one aren't as easy to come by. I did discover he had five, maybe even six children with Louise Adele Mayor, though it doesn't look like they ever married. She passed away in 1860, at the age of only 30. One of Sachs's sons, Adolf Eduard Sachs, carried on his father's workshop into the 20th century, until it was ultimately bought by Selmer in 1929, which is still making saxophones. As for Sachs himself, he never recovered financially. His life was a roller coaster of ups and downs. He lived out his days in Paris, outlived most of his friends, and like so many dreamers, died in poverty. He passed away from pneumonia, according to his obituary, in February of 1894. He made it 79 years, which is an excellent run for anyone in the 1800s, let alone someone who nearly died close to a dozen times. The saxophone has since become an iconic, integral part of music. It helped to revolutionize jazz in the 1910s and 20s, though some critics still think they don't belong in orchestras. It's easy to look at the life of Antoine Joseph Sachs and see failure, hardship, and heartbreak. Our minds are wired to focus on the negative. But how did Sachs see his life? He had a lifetime of pursuing his passion for a living. 
He received honors, patents, awards. He changed music, taught at a prestigious school, reinvented the musical instruments of the French military. I don't know how he would have described the sum of his life by the end of it. But it seems like you don't make it that far for that long without some ability to focus on the things you can control and let go of the things you can't. We can't change our history, but we can change our futures. And Sachs, though we can see his story as a sad one if we want to, we can also see his life as an example of someone who did what he could with what he had, as someone who lived his truth and made a difference where he knew how. And when we live our truths, when we pursue the passions that give us purpose, even the unlucrative ones like history podcasts, there's beauty in that. So go do it. Go be you. Do some good wherever you can, and make some music along the way. And if you find yourself having a bad day, just remember that today, at least, you didn't fall down three flights of stairs, swallow a pin, drink sulfuric acid, fall asleep in a room that was slowly suffocating you, get third-degree burns by falling into a frying pan, get third-degree burns by standing too close to exploding gunpowder, get lip cancer while being sued, have a brick fall on your head, and then almost drown in a river. So, there's that. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed hearing about the surprisingly tumultuous history of the saxophone and its inventor, Antoine Joseph Sax. Huge sax military band size shout out to my newest patron, Catherine. Catherine, thank you so much for your support. It means the world to me. I will be back again in three weeks with more history for you. In the meantime, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can email me at historycashpodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. If you'd like to help support the show, you can check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash historycashpodcast. You can also make a one-time donation. You can access the link for that on the website under the support tab. That website is historycashpodcast.podbean.com. Sound effects and background music were licensed through Envato Elements, theme songs from Audio Jungle. Stay safe, stay smart, stay curious. And until we meet again, my dear friends, go make some history.